Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turning your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In verse 11, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Goads are these prods that they used to use for cattle. And that's how they would steer cattle. They would poke them with these prods, these goads. The words of the wise are given by the masters of assemblies. Those are the pastors. When it says one shepherd, it's talking about one pastor. Now, in Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you have learned Christ. In other words, in the original language, it's the definite article, it is not the way that you have learned the Christ. There's something specific there. In verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, following the Christ is something that you have to be taught. Nobody follows the Christ. I'm not saying Christ, no definite article. I'm saying Christ with definite article. You can follow God in a generalized, self-defined manner. It's not really following God. It's more like religion. But even the people who are genuinely saved, who have not had the opportunity to hear or to be taught, those people also follow Christ, but we're talking about something a little more specific, the Christ. God's desire is that we follow the Christ. Now, in order to follow the Christ, I need the words of the wise, because those are his goads. When I stray away from following the Christ, the goads put me back on the right track. Those words are given by the masters of assembly. If I am to follow the Christ, then I need a master of my assembly, and that, of course, is the shepherd over that assembly, the pastor-teacher. We cannot have a relationship with God where we follow the Christ without a pastor-teacher. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, in order to be the followers of Paul, he sent them Timothy. 
This was not establishing a cult of personality. Sometimes a strong pastor will be accused of trying to establish a cult of personality. But this is not at all a cult of personality. This was a trained person. Paul trained him personally. Now remember, Paul was an apostle and part of his ministry was to train pastors. Timothy was a pastor who was trained by Paul. You couldn't get much better than that in training. Timothy was trained by Paul. And he trained them so that others would know the Christ specifically. And if I'm to know the Christ specifically, I'm going to know him through categories of doctrine. Categorical doctrine is the mind of Christ in specifics for any given circumstance, for any given topic. It's different than just doctrine. Doctrine can be the teachings of a person, it can be the teachings of a church. Categorical doctrine is specifically the mind of Christ for any given topic. God does have a thought, God does have an opinion, God does have that which is desired, God does have definition for absolutely everything. There's nothing that he doesn't have a thought about. That's categorical doctrine. Categorical doctrine is given by the pastor. Sometimes people don't recognize the need for the right pastor. Sometimes people think that they can go to any pastor and receive the same thing. Sometimes people think, oh, you can just go to the corner church because that's the most convenient and this is where I'll go to church and that'll be the end of it. That'll be the end of it for sure, but not exactly what you were hoping for. That'll be the end of your walk with God. Because you require a specific pastor. There is one pastor that everyone is called to. You are required to have that individual, whoever that individual is, to be your pastor that you are called to. Never underestimate the value of the relationship to the pastor or the importance of a pastor in your life. He is the master of assembly that provides the goads through categorical doctrine that teach you how to follow the Christ. There are people out there who say, well, I don't need a church. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm okay on my own. Sometimes I read my Bible and I have my own personal relationship with God. You may have all those things, but you don't have a way of following the Christ. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you don't read your Bible. And I'm not saying that you don't have a relationship with God at all. I'm saying you have no way of following the Christ. You have no way of following God in specifics, understanding how to respond in faith in specifics such that you can be in the perfect will of God for your life. Not possible. Why? Because the masters of assembly provide the goads that steer you. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said, Be followers of me, even 
as I also am of Christ. Now, Paul could very easily be accused of trying to follow a personality, of trying to get you to follow or be manipulated by an individual. That's a frequent accusation against pastors. It's a demonic lie, but it's a frequent accusation. Paul is not trying to get people to follow him. Paul is saying, be followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Because there is an order in the following. Everyone needs a pastor. Everyone needs a pastor. You cannot grow in specifics. You cannot grow into maturity as a believer without a pastor. Now, I didn't say that you cannot be saved. I didn't say that you cannot have God effective in your life at all. I said you cannot grow into specific maturity. You cannot grow into specific faith. You cannot grow into specific faith responses. You cannot follow the Christ without a pastor. Now, followers is the word mimetai, and it means imitator. It's saying that imitating faith means not merely striving to live up to the faith of others, and this is according to Kittle, but a readiness to take the same way of faith in full commitment to Christ. One of the things that amazes me is pastors who don't feel like they need a pastor. Pastors who feel like they don't need to be trained. Because the pastors are the ones who train. Sometimes you get in a situation where, and sometimes this is unavoidable, I understand that, but where the pastor is not trained. However, in a country like ours, training is available. If I'm an untrained pastor, then I have no ability to train anybody else. I have no ability to provide the specifics of a relationship to the Christ because I have not learned the Christ. I may be able to give general statements out of the Bible because I can read the Bible, but I'm never going to teach people how to live in specifics, respond in specifics with specific faith. I'm never going to be able to teach people what it means to live in categorical doctrine. I'll never be able to bring people to the full measure of faith obedience. There may be some measure, but to the full measure of faith obedience. Not out of striving, but out of faith that works by love. It's one thing to try to obey a passage. It's another thing to live in faith obedience. Faith obedience does not mean I apply a portion of scriptures, this is sometimes how I've seen it done with people who don't really know how to live in faith, they take a verse and they try to perform it. They say, well, the Bible says, and they point to a verse, therefore you must or I must or whatever. That's not how it works with God. Faith is when I think with the word of God. That's why faith comes by hearing in Romans 10.17. Now I understand what Hebrews 11.1 says about faith being a conviction and assurance. 
But that conviction and assurance comes from a source and that source is thinking with the Word of God. When I think with the Word of God, then I live in faith. In Romans 1.17, I receive faith through the Word of God and then I implement the faith by applying the doctrines that I've learned. If I do not learn categories of doctrine, then I have no goads, then I have no ability to apply categories of doctrines because I don't have those doctrines. That comes from a pastor. Now, if a pastor is not trained, then he's not equipped. It amazes me, though, that sometimes people think that they can enter into this without training. It's like trying to practice medicine without going to medical school. You may know a little bit about biology. Yes, you can get something from books, but you're never going to make an effective doctor without going to medical school. Likewise, if I'm going to be an effective pastor, I have to be trained. There's no way to deal with people's eternal soul correctly without being trained to do so. It's not intuitive. It's not, oh, I prayed and I read the Bible and I told them what I think about this passage. Anybody can do that, but that's a far cry from categorical doctrine. God's not interested in my opinion, even as a pastor, God is not interested in my opinion of a scripture. And if all I'm giving you is my opinion of a scripture, then I'm not giving you anything more than what you already have. Because you have your own opinion. And my opinion is no greater or lesser than your opinion. But that's not about opinion. Being a pastor is knowing how to rightly divide the word of truth and that requires training, but then also knowing how to present it and proper training. Now here's the thing about training. Bible college training or seminary training is not just there to teach you the book. And it's not just there to teach you how to properly exegete. And it's not just there to teach you proper homiletics. It does all those things, but those are secondary. Bible college training is for a heart work. And if that heart work does not exist, you're not going to be ready. The number one most valuable thing you can get in Bible college is a heart work from God. And yes, it does come with concentrated focus on the Word of God. Yes, it does come with humility that's enforced because you're under a standard. Yes, it does come with the discipline that's taught in the Word of God. And to be a skillful pastor, yes, you do need to have some skills like proper exegesis and then homiletics. But even those are nothing without the rest of the training. Some people really focus on homiletics. They like their three-point sermons. They've got to have it just so. And if it's not just so, it's not a good sermon. Paul never preached a three-point sermon. Paul preached all night and he told us that he was not eloquent. 
Paul was not the easiest guy to listen to because he was not a gifted orator. But man, was he a great pastor. It wasn't in how flashy or satisfying. It was in the fact that he knew how to hear from the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the hard work in correct training is to bring you to the place where you can hear from the Holy Spirit. That's why the enforced humility is necessary. Because Bible college does bring in enforced humility. But if I welcome that, and a lot of people do, then I will learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Then my heart will be altered in a way that I'm available to hear from the Holy Spirit. I'll receive the background in the Word of God such that I can know that I've heard from Him correctly. And I'll get some skills also. But there is no such thing as a pastor who is effective in full measure who hasn't been trained by pastors who are effective in full measure. In other words, I want to go to a pastor who is exceptionally fruitful and who knows very well how to rightly divide the word of truth and he knows very well how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Because if he doesn't, then how is he going to teach me? It's absolutely necessary. One of the reasons why Christianity is in the state that it is in today is that in too many cases, the pastors are not properly trained. How do I know that? Because of that statistic that came out, I guess it was around 10 years ago now, where they interviewed the pastors from the five biggest denominations in the country, and in every case, less than 50%, in some cases around 30%, actually believed that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Well, if the pastor doesn't believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, what does he have to give? He has to give opinion. I don't care what his opinion is. I don't care what my opinion is. Why would I care what his opinion is if I don't even care what my opinion is? His opinion is not the issue. If all he's giving me is an opinion, then he's giving me absolutely nothing. No wonder people are flocking out of churches nowadays where they were flocking into them in the 80s. Because more than 50% of the pastors in the top five denominations don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So what are they giving their people? They're giving them nothing. Who trained them to believe that? You see, that training is a big deal. Because you will have no goads in your own life without proper training. You will not know how to approach the Bible and rightly divide the word of truth without proper training. 
you will not have the hard work required for the pastor without the proper training. Unlike medicine, which requires memory and skill, the Bible requires memory, skill, and hard work. People, for example, would not go to a doctor who doesn't care about the patients, even though he may have the skill and the book information. Well, without the hard work, a pastor is not going to be effective. Number one, he has to be called. If a person is entering into pastoring without being called, they're making a very serious mistake. First, they will not be equipped. Second, they will not have the gift required to do it. Third, they will not have the grace required to do it. Fourth, the Holy Spirit will not be speaking to them in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 because they're not the messengers that he's chosen. Now, being a pastor or not being a pastor is meaningless. Sometimes people look up to pastors and sometimes, in some cases, fortunately not that often, but enough, pastors think, they are somehow above the congregation. They are the pastor. That's nonsense. All it means is that you're under a greater deal of accountability when you reach the Bema seat when you're a pastor. However, it also means that you have a greater measure of protection. Don't touch the pastors. God takes that very personally. He protects them. I've seen firsthand what happens to people who touch the pastors. The pastor is God's responsibility. And believe me, God is very good at taking care of his responsibilities. Saying that the pastor is God's responsibility is not a way of getting the pastor out of accountability or letting him go scot-free. God really does act on things. It's not a joke to be accountable to God. Because if you blow it, God is the one who intervenes. Now, the Word of God says in Philippians 3.16, Nevertheless, Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, that is to say precepts. Let us mind the same things. Brethren, be followers together of me. This is talking about in a church. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. In other words, the people who are imitating, following the pastor, mark them, follow them also. Follow him with them. Follow him together. Why? Because he's something special? No, because he has an office. He has a call. He has a ministry. He's the one the Holy Spirit is speaking to when the church gathers. He's providing definition. He's providing categories of doctrine, the goats. He's teaching you how to have a life and a relationship with God. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Now, there may be people out there who don't like this next statement, but it's true. If I don't yield to the pulpit of the pastor that I'm called to, to his ministry, his office as a pastor, then the word of God says I'm an enemy of the cross. Because that pastor is giving me God's mind as the Holy Spirit gives it to him. You're not following him because of his personality. For that matter, you're not following him because of his gifts either. You're following him because you are called to one pastor and the pastor that you are called to is giving you what the Holy Spirit gives to him for you. That's called the divine table of organization. So you yield to what the pastor teaches. You yield to categories of doctrine and God calls that following the Christ. He gives it to you in specifics. He breaks it down for you and then you receive it. And you receive it in humility, mixing faith with what you have heard. In Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. That means lightly esteem the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is anything you trust in apart from God. Now, if you do not have the mind of Christ, in James 1.8 you are double-minded. However, without one pastor, in Ephesians 4.4, you're blown about by every wind of doctrine. Without having one pastor to say to you, this is how it is, and then blocking out the other voices that would contradict it, not because he's better than they are, but because you need clarity and you need singleness of mind. If I'm listening to this guy over here and I'm listening to that guy over there, and they have a little bit of a different application of doctrine in their ministry, although they should have the same interpretation because there is only one interpretation, there are many applications. And their ministry has a slightly different emphasis with a slightly different application than my ministry, then you're going to get into confusion. You're going to be blown about by the various doctrines. So it's very important to be covered by one pastor under the teaching of one pastor because many pastors together, if you put them on an equal plateau in your thinking, if you accept what they say with equal gravity, you're going to get confused. I know a guy who did that with eschatology. He studied all these different people, what they say in eschatology, and he puts equal weight on all of them because they all have something to say about it. And he can explain to you exactly why the pre-trip crowd is pre-trip and the mid-trip crowd is mid-trip and the post-trip crowd is post-trip and even why those who don't believe in any of it don't believe in any of it. 
And so I asked him one time, and so which one is correct? And he said, I don't know. Well, for all his knowledge, he had none. If you can't tell me which is the right doctrine, even though you may know all the doctrines, or all the variations that different people put on it with a different emphasis and sometimes with a different interpretation like with eschatology, and you can't tell me which one's right, then you don't know. You haven't been taught. What does it do for me when I know what everybody has to say, but I don't know what the truth is? You need one pastor. That's why God arranges it the way he does. It's not saying that one pastor is perfect or better than the others. No, it's for clarity's sake. God's not that worried whether my emphasis in application is on one side or the other side or exactly how it is. He does want me to have the correct interpretation. He's not worried that we have this emphasis or that emphasis. He wants clarity within the emphasis. In other words, he doesn't want me confused. He'd rather have me have an emphasis without confusion than confusion without emphasis. Confusion doesn't do us any good. In Judges 17.6, in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When there is no governmental doctrine, which comes through categories of doctrine, you cannot have governmental doctrine without categorical doctrine. People will follow whatever is right in their own eyes, their own opinions. They follow themselves. Well, that doesn't do any good. If I'm to live in the kingdom of God, then I do live within God's authority structure. And God's authority structure is such that certain individuals, not making them better than anybody else, or less than either, but certain individuals are selected by God in a call to be the pastors. And that's for the edifying of the body. That's for protection of the body. Sometimes young guys look at especially high-profile pastors and they're very attracted to that type of a call. That's kind of risky because most pastors don't talk about the warfare that's involved in being a pastor. Those young guys never picture themselves being attacked. They picture themselves in front of a bunch of people or leading some amazing work on some mission field or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with the desire. There's nothing wrong with that as a goal, so long as they're called to it. But what if it doesn't come out that way? What if they end up, and I can add Niram Judson. He went to Burma 20 years before he had his first convict, in that process two wives died his wife died, he got married again, his wife died I believe children died, ends up in jail for a long time before he sees his first convert 
What if that's the call? If Adnan Judson had delusions of grandeur, they went away very quickly. I don't think he did. Because if he did, he wouldn't have lasted. The call of the pastor is to call to a relationship with God. And through the training that you receive in your relationship with God and being trained to be a pastor, you teach other people how to have a relationship with God. And the closer your relationship to Him is, their relationship to Him will be also. Now one thing, and again some people out there might not like this, you will never get beyond your pastor in growth. You will never get beyond your pastor in maturity. Because he's the one who's building your faith. If you serve two masters, let's say that you want to yield to two pastors, or three, or four, or even worse, let's say that you want to yield to a pastor and then your own opinions, which is far more confusing. You're going to hold to the one and despise the other. You really do need the one you're called to. And without the one you are called to, it's going to be very difficult. You don't want to split that. Because if you split it, you'll enter confusion. In other words, you don't want to say this and this voice are equal. You will enter into confusion. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying that one is superior to the other. I'm saying that this is how the divine table of organization works because it protects you from confusion. The Word of God says in Second Chronicles 34.3, in the eighth year of his reign, and he was still a boy, Josiah, who was one of the best kings Israel had, began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, which was a place for idolatry, and the Asherahs and the wooden images and the molten images, all oriented toward idolatry. Now, Josiah sought the God of his father, David. He didn't seek God generally. He sought the Christ. He sought someone's God. And someone's God became his God. David's God became his God. In Genesis 26, 4, to Isaac, God was the God of Abraham. In Genesis 28.13, to Jacob, God was the God of Abraham and Isaac. In Exodus 3.6, to Moses, he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
to Timothy and Titus, he was the God of Paul. To us, he's the God of our pastor. The pastor is the one who has a relationship with God and imparts to you a relationship with God. So yeah, especially at first, you're following somebody else's God. Because you're following after somebody else's relationship to God. But in every case, he was always the God of their pastor. In Joshua 24.15, Joshua says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. That word evil is rea. It means good for nothing. If it seems useless to you to serve the Lord, choose who you will serve. If I want to serve the Lord, I'm going to serve the God of my pastor. I don't have a choice. From the beginning of time, everybody has served the God of their pastor. And then the next generation served the God of their pastor. And the next generation served the God of their pastor. I was trained by Dr. Stevens. I served the God of my pastor. Because my pastor taught me how to have a relationship with God, the God that he knew. And he taught me how to have the relationship like he had. I'm teaching that to the people that are in my church. Whoever's called to me, you're going to learn how to have a relationship with my God. And it goes on all the way to the end of time. Everyone serves the God of their pastor. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God which is given to me, as I as a skillful master builder laid a foundation, but another builds on it. But let each one be taking heed how he builds upon it. For an alternative foundation, no one is able to lay alongside of the one which is being built, which foundation is a person, Jesus Christ. Now, the pastor lays a foundation. He's a master builder. The real word is architect. He is an architect who has built you a foundation. That foundation is Christ. He builds the foundation according to his relationship with God and he builds it for you. You then have to build on that foundation that he provided for you. You cannot build your own foundation. You also cannot build an alternate foundation. You don't have the skill to build a foundation at first. So, the pastor builds it for you, and then you build on what he built for you. He lays down the foundation of a relationship with Christ for you. And then, on the relationship that you have learned from him, you continue to build on it. You're the one who builds on that foundation that your pastor built for you. In verse 12, 
Now, if any man builds on this foundation that the pastor has put down for you, that relationship with Christ, gold, silver, precious stones would hand stubble. Now, gold is faith response. Silver is anything that is of redemption, things like forgiveness, things like mercy. Precious stones is anything that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Wood is anything that is of the old sin nature. Hay is anything that is emotionalism. And stubble is things aborted. You start, you quit. You can't follow through. It's really the product of the old sin nature. Every man's work will be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, that is to say, by the fiery trial that Peter told us not to be surprised about, as though some strange thing happened to you. Everybody's work will be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, the foundation is laid. The foundation is a relationship to Christ. You will be tested on the pastor's message because that message builds your foundation. And how you respond to that. If you respond to it in faith and you apply by faith what the message has given you, you have gold. If you respond in redemption, practically speaking, there's some area of your life that's not right with God. But you allow the message to correct you. You allow the blood of Christ to cleanse you in your conscience in Hebrews 9.14. And you are restored to a proper life with God. That's silver. And if you allow the message to impart the love of God to you and all the manifestations of the love of God that are called the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5:22 and 23, that's precious stones. You are rewarded for those. Those will withstand the fiery trial. However, if what you build on is in the old sin nature, the flesh, things of your own human efforts, self-righteousness, religion, human morality, human good, pretense, wanting to look spiritual without ever being transformed in your heart. There's plenty of people who do that. They're called religion. Or, the message corrects you, but you're not corrected. Or you start responding to the message and then you walk away again and you put it down and you stop responding. Those things will be eternal loss. What your condition will be in heaven, not talking about salvation, this is assuming you already have salvation. But your condition in terms of rewards, in terms of position, in terms of glory, as a code of glory over your body, in terms of how close you are to God, in terms of capacity to have great joy in heaven, 
that will be based on how you respond to your pastor. You need the right pastor. You need a pastor who preaches the word of God, listening to the Holy Spirit to the best of his ability, and you need one who has the gift to do it and the training to show him how. Your eternal condition actually depends on that. Some people hear from a pastor and it goes in one ear, out the other. They have no idea how much damage they're doing to their eternity. Not everyone has an equal measure of happiness. They say, well, at least I'll be in heaven. Well, whatever is not of faith is sin. Where did the faith come into your life? But these people who never develop their capacity by responding in faith and applying what the pastor has taught them, they may get to heaven. Thank God they do. But they will have nowhere near the capacity for joy or the things of God. Sometimes they try to find joy or happiness or something and they say, well, yielding to my pastor will somehow hinder what I'm after. And what they're after is invariably some form of satisfaction of some kind. You've robbed yourself of that satisfaction, not just here in time, but in eternity. Because you have not developed the capacity to have joy. In the presence of God is where you find joy. The pastor teaches you how to live in the presence of God. So you might be looking for some form of happiness and saying, well, if I follow the pastor, I won't have this form of happiness that I'm after. You are so deceived. All you're doing is robbing yourself of happiness in eternity because you're not going to find it in time and now you won't find it in eternity either. The greatest joy that I have seen in people, these people were always faithful to their pastor. Faithful to the word of God, faithful to build correctly, to respond correctly to the message. Because those are the people who've learned how to live in the presence of the Lord. And they have fullness of joy. They have it now and they have deep capacity in eternity. Those people will be genuinely happy. Why? They had a pastor. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.